What's this about now? <laughs> it's the final, the yeah. Fi yeah. final, final, final countdown. Final part. Yeah, 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 yeah. Hotly anticipated. I'm, I'm hoping I might get to use some of all these uh, my, my extensively gathered notes. Right, so, so have we all kind of made a pact that Steve gets to talk like no. a little bit earlier this time? No, I, yeah. I, I like not, I like listening. Well, I feel as though Steve is kind it's of really a job. Do, do you think? Do you think people <laughs> think of Steve as being the like the wise, strong, silent type? Do you should know? be the one that we should be listening to. Is he our a voice, Howard Donald? <laughs> oh, that's, that's hey, listen, how, Howard so. Donald, by the way, he was the one that wrote all the harmonies, the backing vocals. No. So he, absolutely crucial. Never, never underestimate. Never, never forget. forget how, how important. Best as well. Uh, Do you remember? And that was Howard's song, of course. Of what was the... Of course. Oh, so before Little Britain, Lutus and Williams did a TV show in which Put they... Their, the pop stories, pop history, what was yeah, it called? Yeah. That was actually quite funny in a way that Little Britain wasn't. Uh... And there, Howard Donald was thick. And now, every time I think of Howard Donald, I think of the thick Howard Donald from whatever that was called. So is, what that was it called? Why, is that why you've drawn comparisons between me and Howard? No, no, no. <laughs> no, you, you, Steve, are the person who, yes, soaks up all the complete waffling and ramblings from the three of us. And then, at a time, Dis a time it. perfectly opportune, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. inserts his thoughts into the conversation in a distilled, efficient... Sometimes tardy and slow way that uh, that sums everything up. Measured, I would like. Yeah, measured. measured. Well, if, you, if you think about it, Hugh is clearly the Barlow. Mm. I'd like to think of myself as Barlow. Hugh is obviously I'm, the Barlow. I'm, I'm really? very fond well, of he's Gary Barlow. Not being Mark Owen. He's got. He's got the. <laughs> well, <laughs> yes, you whatever are. you think. No, you're you're the Williams. What? You're Williams. Does you? Wait a minute. There's four of us. And well, what does one? No one's been Mark Owen. Nobody's okay. That's fine. No one's been Mark Owen, which means I'm Jason Orange. Even Mark Owen doesn't want to be Mark Owen. The I want. I want saw Mark Owen. Why are you Jason Orange? I could be Jason Lorange. Just because I don't want to be Mark Owen. Uh, <laughs> you're Robbie Williams because you're the one who's destined for single success. Am I? Yeah. With a, a series on my own. With yes, yeah, podcast, podcast on your own with Guy Chambers. I don't know. That. I don't want that. Well, don't you want that? Tumbleweed? No. Well, they're going to turn what's Chinch's soccer story will just become. Can you imagine a whole could podcast do. on its own, like a forty-five minute soccer ramble. story? Yes. Yeah. You could video. You'd make it a, a vodcast in which you are sitting. Uh, that's how you make. You know, something's got video in it because it's got a V at the start of it. Is that right? That's how that works. Uh, that you that just chinch sitting in a smoking jacket with a pipe <laughs> and a bit leather bound tome, and he starts off with Andy Booth arrived into training <laughs> one day. <laughs> chinch is very good at doing a Yorkshire accent, aren't you, Chinch? I think so because my family is originally from Barnsley. Is that right? Yeah, Mick McCarthy's from Barnsley. Certainly is. And not from, I, not from his Ireland. Boots and as I his boots as well. Yes. Uh, Rock Profile was the that name was it. of the show. That Rock Profile, David Williams and Mike uh, Lucas. How do you find the time to absorb? all of this sort of radio and television entertainment within all of your you're, football you're, thinking time. No, you're talking about a journalist here. 20 minutes work a day. No, fine. we're talking about... Oh, yeah. <laughs> I tell you what, paternity leave does feature a lot more Escape to the Sun than I was expecting. <laughs> <laughs> really? Escape to the Sun away from your small child. Uh, welcome to Set Piece Menu, the podcast where four friends talk football over food. And welcome to part three of our conversation about youth football. I know the sense of anticipation builds each and every week with your mood not placated until you have your dose of set piece menu but over the last fortnight you have no doubt been salivating about the prospect of one chicken one pot well can i tell you 
It's nearly here. Really? I'm you said that last time. It. I'm teasing it almost as much as Rory teases his uh, solution to uh, youth and B-team football. We've been waiting can for this chicken one pot for three weeks. Can, we you, have... can you smell it? Well, I yeah. can't smell it. Well, Hugh, the fact I've got the biggest nose. <laughs> then what, what's it doing if it's not smelling better well, than the rest is, of is it chicken? Is it, it, does, is it real chicken? It does smell fantastic, but we have had to destroy two family-sized packets <laughs> of crisps yeah. to try and stifle our hunger. He did work offer more to us, we actually no, no, steal from the kitchen along with a Haribo. I wouldn't highlight like that if I were you. What? The fact that you just went into my kitchen and stole many things. I didn't steal them, technically. Well, you just said the word steal, so. I did, I was wrong. Well, at least it will be devoured very, very soon. We wanted to get the work done first, otherwise everybody would probably be asleep. Uh, those who will hopefully be full and satisfied alongside me, Hugh Ferris, are Rory Smith of the New York Times, the only one of us to have a book published. Steve Wyeth of BT Sport, the only one of us to know more foreign footballers than even hardened players of Football Manager. And Andy Hinchcliffe of Sky Sports, he's going to stop clapping for himself. The only one of us to play for England, but not the only man to win seven caps. Do you know how many players have won seven caps for England? Just seven caps or Just seven, seven caps, caps and beyond. 24. No, 30. Can you name one other? who's won seven, seven caps. caps. Well, I've not checked into it, but i just give you the name of someone who is clearly a lot better than me that only won. I know everybody else will be, uh, ha, ha, very funny. But just <laughs> name one <laughs> really, really jokes. good player that I could say, well, they got seven caps along with me. They were brilliant, so that means I'm brilliant. From well. recent years... It doesn't, matter. It doesn't let's matter. Let's not go back to Joseph Bache or Herbie Arthur. Oh, Herbie um, Arthur. But what a what player a he was. Player he played in his position. With seven caps, players... At least as good as you, mm. David Bentley, Carlton Cole, Tony Daly. Just keep going. And Luke Shaw. Do you know what? And uh, this is the third time in this series that I've now done this. I was going to say Tony Daly. Genuinely, what? I was going to say Tony Daly. I liked Tony Daly a lot I, when I was a young football fan. I wonder fan. if I'm psychic. So if if we ever fought <laughs> ever if we if we ever lost Chinch somewhere, we misplaced oh, him. What, like death? No, <laughs> you know, we we put him down somewhere in a. Restaurant, and we forgot <laughs> to take him home. Like a restaurant. Which other seven cap England international would, would you we fill, replace fill him my with? massive Daily. void with? Daily. No, he can't, he, can't, he can't talk. He I'll can't be honest talk with you. I'll I be honest with you. I've, I've started this and I want to end it now. So, the answer to your question, Steve, is I don't care. You don't care. Uh, get in touch with us <laughs> about other things you don't care about. Setpiecemenu at gmail.com. At setpiecemenu is where you can get in touch with us on Twitter. We pick up the story then of our imaginary footballer, if you will, having made it through to the first team. For many, it will have been a lengthy and maybe even torturous process with progress often halting, full of as many setbacks as successes. But once you have all of that behind you, is that job done? Suddenly you have the riches and rewards that you've dreamt of, but how often does a young player let that get the better of them? Some that do sink without trace and are the subject of a book or article years later with the title of Remember This Guy? What Happened to Them? Is this time almost as crucial as anything that has preceded it? So there will be players who have come through the academy into the team where they are at the academy of and done very successful things. They might be 21. We mentioned Harry Winks last week on the podcast. There will be those who find a place not necessarily at their Premier League Academy but they have dropped down but they are nevertheless making a very good living and having a very successful career 
is that job done or should they then think about how better to develop? There are several players who have come through, whether as prodigies or not, who have stagnated. We also talked about Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain uh, in this discussion about youth football. We've talked before about Theo Walcott. We've also mentioned Raheem Sterling. Are there players who get to that point of 2021 who think that's it? I'm earning 100 grand a week. I might be playing for my country. I don't need to develop any further because the story up until that point has always been about how best to develop that player. And now, do they have to develop no more? Well, I think we should start with Steve. Yes, let's. <laughs> let's. Well, the owners. <laughs> I thought you weren't going to say anything. <laughs> let us wait. Well, I'll tell you what, I'll get, get back to that in 20 minutes' time. Uh, the onus, surely, is on the clubs to keep developing players, not to allow them to become complacent. I mean, Manchester United, for example, are the one that have this, this wonderful reputation, don't they, of having academy players involved in their first team. I think it's 80 years. They recently went past the 80-year mark of continuously having an academy player involved in, in their first team squad. It's something like approaching 4,000 consecutive matches. So there are clearly clubs who put a great deal of stock in making sure that their players' progression from youth team to first team is there, but that also that they, they remain part, part of that first but Isn't it more in the hands of the player when they get to a certain age, all this coaching, the players have to take it on board while they're being taught the things that they're being taught. Yes, I do agree. The clubs have to continue to try with their players to improve them, but to get them to realise that improvement can be self-driven as well. And that's when it comes down to, again, brains appreciating why you're learning the things that you're learning. You shouldn't at 22, 23 have to be shouted at by a coach to tell you what to do. You should have taken on board. So does it become more the player's responsibility to realise, yes, I'm playing first team football, I'm earning a lot of money, but I can be better. So I've got to drive myself to be better and, and, and learn and take on board, obviously, everything I've been taught, but keep developing yourself. But do we, we, are we guilty of indulging players? Say, you know, first team debut, score a couple of goals. Suddenly they're the, the great hope of English football. And it, must be very, it would be very difficult to ignore the hype that suddenly surrounds you. Mm. You know, these are, these are young men, aren't they? They're still maturing as, as people. They may be close to football maturity, but, but you know, mentally and as, as, as people, they, they've still got some work to do in that regard. So the clubs... Is it different for young Englishmen rather than young German players, Italian players? Is the mentality of young English players different? Do they f see the job that they do and the development that really maybe the responsibility is on their shoulders. Would a, would a young German footballer, what they've been through culturally, want to be better to improve? Because that's the culture. English players, do they still, do they have that drive? A lot of them, clearly not all of them, are, are just going through the motions or thinking, well, I've learned everything, 21, I can just carry on doing what I'm doing now and everything will be fine. Is, is it a cultural thing with young English players, do we think? Well, we've talked in the past about, you know, football, footballing brain and, and intellect and, and whether those two things marry up. And that is obviously a concern, isn't it? That mm. footballers of, of that sort of age involved in the English game, thinking for themselves, tactically developing, taking on board new ideas, whether that is part of how they have been taught up until that point. So is it something that's easy for them to start doing when they break into, into the first team? Mm. You know, do, do our academies train their players to be able to do specific jobs and unfortunately take some of the, the mental side of the game away because they're so well drilled to do what's required of them that, that when they suddenly are in that first team environment and are having to, to think on their feet that that's quite a new concept or a, a, a concept that has become unfamiliar 
And therefore, that's how perhaps some of those players can stagnate. Yes, they have got the talent. They have, have proved they are capable of playing at that level. But you have to adapt on a game-to-game basis. Yeah, this is the stories I've heard about Harry Kane and what he's willing to do, the ends he's, he's willing to go to. He's clearly a, a fantastic player at the moment, one of the best players in Europe, but he's, not, he's unwilling to stand still. He's constantly looking for ways to improve his fitness, uh, his sharpness, everything about him. If you hear some of the stories are incredible about what he's willing to do and the lengths he's willing to go. So he clearly has has been through this development process. He's up to a point where things are going brilliantly for him. He could just say, I'll just keep doing what I'm doing. I don't need to. I've got everything I need. But he's constantly looking for the next extra couple of percent that can make him even better and even better. And that must come from, yes, probably from the club and the, the philosophy of the club, but it must come from within that he says, it's, it's up to me what I do with my downtime and do I want to watch other centre-forwards through the year and learn how to improve the, the, the job that I'm out there to do. So I'm really impressed with the stories I hear about him. And it's not necessarily just on the training, which the actual training he's doing. It's how he lives his life as well. He's looked at Cristiano Ronaldo, he's looked at Messi, he's looked at Iniesta, he's looking at all these world-class players over the last 10 years or so. Can I take something from them? to make me even better but it's actually maybe a lot of it coming from him himself the, the point that you make about English players is interesting because quite quite often we've spoken about the fact that when players break through and they are considered the next generation superstar it's because they've got pace yes so many of the qualities of a young player seem to be derived around their ability to be quick and to basically scare yeah. defenders who are older than them yeah. players who lose that pace which is inevitable need to find a different way of progressing, of developing, mm. to find out another part of their game that's equal in the, the second half of their career well, to the pace in the first yeah, yeah. half of career. Are English players not very good at doing that because they haven't spent the first half of their career developing that element that they're going to rely on from the ages when their pace isn't as important well, a factor? Harry Kane is, he isn't blindingly quick. But he has so much going on in his game that he's probably saying, well, OK, if I, if I had that pace, I'd be even better, but I haven't got it. You can improve it a little bit, but you're not going to be like Raheem Sterling. You're not going to be blindingly quick, are you? So he's developing what he has and squeezing out the maximum he can. And he will become even better because he's willing to do this. But surely during the, the course of your development as a young player, aren't the clubs working on, on the minds of the players? I think we've talked about this before, on the minds of the players, well, physically, technically. Because ultimately, physically, technically, you get to a, a not like a ceiling, but you hit a point where you're thinking, well, there's not a lot more we can do. We've got you to the maximum you can be physically, technically. Now it's about using your brain. Because it is, it is about that. I think you get to 25 and then it does become about your reading of the game, your understanding of the game, playing different positions. And it can become down to the player themselves to have taken all this coaching on board and to understand what it was all about and then think of ways that you can improve yourself. And I'm not sure many English players, not all of them, but I'm not sure many English players will be willing to go to the, to the, to the lengths that Harry Kane would, would go to. It's funny, I suppose Beckham was the, before Kane, Beckham was always the standard bearer for the, the sort of relentless trainer, wasn't yes, he? It was always yeah. Beckham stays behind and mm-hmm. practices free practices free kicks alongside and Andy Hinchcliffe at England training. Well, he but didn't doesn't have get as many pace. Ends. He didn't have a trick. I played <laughs> against him and quick wingers, and, and he was in a way the hardest to play against because he'd kind of made what he was good at so incredibly good the way he could manipulate mm. a ball he didn't have to beat you to cross it he could manipulate a ball in the air and he, that came from mm. what he was willing to do on the training field he, is, so he, is Ronaldo another that fits into that yeah. category because you know when they when people compare Ronaldo and Messi it's often well Messi he had this sort of god given talent which he's been able to exploit whereas Ronaldo knew he was good but worked tirelessly to make himself even better yeah. mm. Yeah, uh, Messi is very much the Terminator, and uh, Ronaldo is the T1000. I think that's yeah, he's just kind of he's a more advanced version, but less lovable somehow. The yeah, the, the, that kind of trained, 
that trained excellence yeah. is people like Beckham and Kane and and Ronaldo to an extent. I mean, Ronaldo's got a huge natural talent as yeah. well, in a way that that Beckham I don't think did have. No, no. To be perfectly honest, Gary Neville was one that always used to like to play on the fact that he, he he'd sort of make out that he wasn't that talented a footballer and he had to work on it. But you know, you have to be blessed with supreme talent I mean, I think, to make it at the top level. I think we shouldn't no. recognise just how untalented Gary Neville was as a footballer. <laughs> but the no, so I, th- I think with with Beckham, he was always the standard bearer for kind of yeah those players who just work really hard. And we, you'd, you'd see you'd read these profile pieces of you know he stays behind doing a free kick, which means he's training for sometimes as much as two and a half hours a day. <laughs> and it's, <laughs> it's incredible. In the same way as my favourite my favourite journalistic cliche is always the manager is the first in and the last out. <laughs> sometimes he arrives at nine a.m. and leaves no later than five p.m. <laughs> really? Can you imagine working that many hours a day? And often the first hour is spent in the gym anyway. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> and the last four hours or watching the previous match over and, and over, over and over again. again yeah. That's just television. The, <laughs> it's really easy, I think, to, to, to worry. There's a brilliant David Remnick phrase about in the English being the only nation capable of feeling schadenfreude for themselves. <laughs> and there is, there is a, really, a really English tendency, or British tendency, to, to worry that everything foreigners do is better and as a consequence of that to vote to leave the European Union. And <laughs> <laughs> episode one had story yeah, <laughs> bashing. Two, we had a week off, and now we're back. <laughs> the no, so and it is easy to look at foreign players and think they are more intelligent, they're more urbane, they seem more sophisticated, they they are more willing to learn. And I think, to an extent, that's that's it's both true and not true. I think that you you do look at someone like Iniesta, and there is obviously a, a studiousness to the way he plays the game, and same with Xavi. Not every foreign player is like that. Plenty of foreign players are just as lazy as, as the worst English players. But what I would say is, and this isn't in no way a plug for the book, I do think there is a cultural difference in the way we think about football to the way other countries think about football, which is rooted in the fact that we always saw football as... We don't have a, a tradition of coaching in this country. For a long time, we've talked about this loads of times before, that... You know, the idea was that players knew how to play. You you could teach them to be quicker and stronger, but they knew how to play football. You didn't need to t- tell them how to play football. They were talented. They knew how to play football. And that dates right back to the 1880s and 1890s. And we saw football as something that we could teach, but we didn't need to learn. Whereas foreign countries always had that perspective of students. So they were always trying to find a way to be better. And I genuinely believe, not just for financial reasons, that that, that is a, a valid contrast in the way that we see football compared to Europeans. I'll do the South plug. Americans. It's called Mister, and it's excellent. The one of three books actually that I've contributed to and have have had published, not just one. Hugh. Uh, the yeah, but so that's that was the book that you were. You that's were the only one with my to. name on it. Yeah, yeah. 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 but that was yeah. the book to which it's, you were referring. And it was, so you know, it was completely fair. Like, I hardly, I hardly did, noticed. It did win one award and was nominated for another, so that's that's fine. Anyway, uh, so in in conclusion, no. So in conclusion, you I didn't want to talk about it, and yet when I did, you told me that it was one of three. Yeah. Therefore, lengthy. Yeah. That section of the conversation. Clever. Yeah. Clever. Yeah. A trilogy. No, so, no, not a trilogy. It's not like Lord of not, the Rings. Not like Lord it's of Gandalf. the Rings at all. <laughs> no. the, the I'm not read it, I don't think. <laughs> <laughs> you've never Does read Lord of the Rings. Wizard? You've never read Lord of the Rings. Th- of I might have read Lord of the Rings. You haven't, you've seen the films. <laughs> no, I might have read Lord of the Rings. Uh, when you say might, I haven't read Lord of the Rings. <laughs> yeah, there you go. But I'm a big fan of Tolkien. So there is. Excellent set of forward. It's hold up play magnificent. There Carry is. On, Rory. Sorry. Uh, so there is, I do think there is a difference in the way we, we think about football in terms of how much it can be learned and how much it can improve. And I think the best example of that is probably Wayne Rooney, who, and Rooney is indicative of a trend in English football, which is this 17-year-old wonder boy 
who never gets better than they were than when they were 17 or 16 in Rooney's case. So Rooney was obviously clearly a magnificent footballer and I refuse to believe that Wayne Rooney, as he got older, didn't try to learn more things and didn't try to improve himself and didn't try to make himself better, because clearly he did. But Rooney was basically peak Rooney at 16 and all other versions of Rooney were either inferior to that or as good as that Rooney. Rooney never improved. And I think there is something that, that someone like Iniesta, who wasn't a sensation when he was 17, has got slowly better over time, and that must be to do with an ability to keep developing. Whereas in England, because we have an emphasis on physicality, and both physicality in terms of strength and pace, but also the physical attributes of God-given talent, in inverted commas, talent, this, this thing that can't be taught, this great untouchable, we don't have as much emphasis on how can he be better. We think about how can he maintain the talent that he has got. So I, I suggested that players might become complacent when they made the transition to the first team but that perhaps clubs were compliant in that as well because of course in the academy the people who are employed within the academy setup their job is to make these young men better footballers to progress them through the age groups within the academy and hopefully to the first team but of course that isn't the first team coach's job do enough Top, I mean, let's talk about the Premier League. Do enough Premier League coaches? We mentioned uh, Pochettino last week as being perhaps the exception to this, but do, do they take enough responsibility for taking that still relatively raw talent of a 19, 20, 21 year old footballer and continuing to improve them? Or once they have been handed into the responsibility of the first team, is the assumption that they, they are as good as they can be? They have been coached to do the job for which I require them to do. And therefore, I don't have a responsibility to continue to d- that, that player's development. It is that responsibility in saying, well, a, a coach, a modern coach, certainly at the top level, is looking to stay in the job for as long as possible. So they just want a player that can do the job for them. And do they presume they're the finished article when they come out of the academy? Clearly they're not. And they the coach ever, or the player? The coach. Right. Oh, sorry, the, sorry the, the player coming out of the academy. Does the coach then look and say, well, I presume you put all this... But the player might also point. think that too. The player might think, possibly, I'm, yeah. I'm a finished So it's how much coaching goes on and how long a coach is going to stay in the job. Because there's no guarantees anymore. You're looking at five, six games. So you're thinking, well, all, all it is now for a first-team coach is to keep winning games. You can't maybe look beyond two, three, four years, develop a, a philosophy and say, well, these players, I know I'm not going to get sacked. So I can, it's not about results, just I can actually work with these players and develop the young players to make them even better. Is that going on? Virtually every team in the Premier League, whether you're battling relegation or to win titles, it is all about the coaches trying to look after themselves in many ways and get the results. So do they do they feel they've got the time or the interest in developing players who are maybe 23, 24? Well, just exposing them to the first team must I was going to say, aren't there, aren't, aren't there... Sh- that's, that's not enough. That is not enough. Aren't there short-term development goals as well? You might spend two or three sessions during the week with them and they might improve enough for that weekend to do the job that you are tutoring them to do against that opponent. So there might be a development long-term because of that, but still you're getting a short-term game from it. It'd be really interesting to see kind of the the way a week is structured with the games that these big clubs have, just just what they do with those players who might be in, they might be out. Does Guardiola take those players? Did other coaches take those players and really coach them? even though there's matches to be won and they're always looking ahead to the next game. It'd be very interesting to see just how much cut and how they handle these players. Well, increasingly, I think there's a lot of clubs have now got a position called something like first team development coach. 
And at Liverpool, it's Pep Linders who, who fulfills that role, who was an academy coach, but now works with the first team. Mm. And as I understand it, I think his job is to manage the, the transition between the academy and the first team. So you have these kids who come in from the academy who are then working with the first team, but they have, the, have Linders looking at them, watching them. To, to kind of gauge how they are developing. But th that's for 17, 18, 19-year-olds, whether they're still doing that at 23, 24. Yeah. How old was Raheem Sterling when he went to Man City from Liverpool? How old is he? 20. So you, you still, even though you've been transferred for a huge amount of money, there's an awful lot of work that still needs to be done. Now, is, is Guardiola saying... Is he working on Raheem Sterling? Yeah, I think he is. I think, Guardiola, I think Guardiola is. Individually, is he working with Raheem Sterling to try and improve himself? I think if you look at City, you have to say that Guardiola has improved players individually yeah. there. Without so he must be doing doubt. work. So, so he's not developing yeah. coaches' role. I think it's my job to actually get this. Or, with Sterling, or some of his staff, yeah. He works fairly tirelessly. I don't know what he does during training, obviously. But if you see what he does during a match, mm. he's almost tutoring him yes, 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 with, yes. with every movement, with yeah. every play. Yeah. And that must be as a result of what he's no, doing during the week that yes. he's then trying to but see also, manifest yeah, get a benefit correctly. on a match day and win the points. Obviously, yeah. but what they do when it, it is just a training session or what is the structure for these players? Because even though Raheem Stone is an international player, transferred for a lot of money, playing pretty regularly, do they still see him as someone, I need to work individually with you and take you out? That is, is that... Pep Guardiola's job as a coach to work individually with players or do they kind of pass that on to, to other they haven't got the time maybe to, to Guardiola's to staff that. is so big there, there must be yes. someone who is yeah. giving that one to one to from what you read you get the impression that, that Guardiola because he is so prescriptive with how he sets his team up each and every week mm -hmm. that there will be those who he feels that he wants to mm -hmm. like he used to talk endlessly with Philip Lahm at, at, at Bayern Munich during training sessions after training sessions I somebody, sometimes just talk for an hour on the pitch about how he was changing his role and how his role um, might uh, be you know important for the team so he does that during training sessions but he also so he's prescriptive but he's also one of those people who has a desire I think to see those players develop right and then it's just a question of how much time you've got exactly. and how yes. crucial that yeah. player is to either you long-term or that, that weekend. But it's up. definitely the case that, 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 I mean, there are, Pochettino, I think you can hold up as a player, as a coach who develop, develops players and seems to take pleasure in it. Guardiola, I think, is the same. I'd probably throw Klopp in there to some extent. All managers educate players tactically because that's, that's what so much of what they're doing, whether it's Tony Pulis's shadow, endless shadow play, mm -hmm. you are educating your players tactically. Although it was interesting when Ashley Cole went to Roma, Part of the reason they didn't play was they, they couldn't believe... He didn't play as often as they thought. They couldn't believe how little he knew ta about tactics, mm -hmm. how little he'd been coached tactically through his career, and even for Italian football, which, as everybody knows, is awful, and we shouldn't watch it. And bad, boring. And yeah. boring. And no really, one scores any really goals. goals no. Yeah. no, no, no. Everything, every, game, every game in Serie A last week ended nil-nil, didn't it? Except for Benevento, who scored minus four. Uh, yeah, they, yeah, that <laughs> was the exception. Um, it was the, a good game, that. Yeah, Benevento minus four, into Milan, nil. Uh, the uh, yeah, but they, they couldn't they couldn't believe how little tactical work he'd done. But I think that there are a lot of coaches who do fall into the trap that you're talking about, which is that their interest is in coaching the team not to lose or to win at the weekend. And you can understand that. Because and you can understand it. It's yeah, not a criticism. Yeah, so and they're being selfish, but for, for the reason they'll be brought into the club is to be successful and win. And games, the players' so education is basically you are educated as to what I need you to do on, on Saturday and yeah. that is it. And through, but I mean, that, there will be an element of improvement through that, but whether it's, as you say, it, that is not enough to maybe maximise the talent, the talent of these players. Mm. The, 
what you said about Andy, Andy Cole is interesting. Uh, Tony Dorigo, who uh, is part of uh, BT Sports coverage of Italian football, who I work with, he he's spoken about exactly that when he went to Torino, which probably about 20 years ago, and they were playing in the, the second tier of Italian football. He was initially completely thrown by the sheer volume of tactical work, shadow play, you know, preparation that they did you know, training, double training sessions during the week. It's, it's, it seems amazing almost that, you know, a another international left-back would move from English football to Italian football two decades later and would, would still experience experience that. I think Tony adapted quick. Tony's an intelligent guy. He would have adapted quickly to that. But, that you know, is it not slightly tragic that English football is still seeming to have those same tactical problems with their players going, you know, I think it must be changing going. though, because we've now got so many, so many tactically kind of diverse coaches in the Premier League. This throughout, I mean, you obviously have the coaches at the top six. Benitez will be working relentlessly with with Newcastle tactically. There's no mm. question about that. Pulis, it's a different type of tactical work, but he does do it. He does Back a lot of shadow again. play. Sure. Wagner will do yeah, loads. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So is it maybe the player's ability to retain this information or to to learn from it, or is it that they simply they they learn their tactics for a game, and it's it sort of sticks in their brains for long enough to get them through that match, and they they move on. It, it, the, the maybe it's that I don't know. Maybe it's that I mean yeah, we'd, we'd we'd have to ask players to be certain. But there's, but maybe there's only the, so many things that you would need to know if you were playing. Yeah. If I'm playing left back in a back four or playing as a wing back, or, there's only a certain number. But you need yeah. to know because this is how we're going to play today. This is what the opposition. So once you instill that information, you should hopefully in time you shouldn't need to keep. The, the, the penny should drop for those players. Again, that's why they have to say, well, I'm being taught this for a reason. It will benefit me. I have to be interested in what they're trying to tell me and take it on board and understand it. And that's what I said. At any age, that becomes, whether you're 21, 25, 26, you've still got to have that ability to understand why you're being taught things and learn for yourself. And, and are we too quick to compartmentalise our players as well? We're talking about players making a transition from youth to first team. And it does seem to be that once you've made your first team debut, that's it, you're a first team yeah, player. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. You know, you, why would you go back and play for the youth team, even if perhaps they, you know, had a, a youth cup final coming up and we spoke uh, previously in this series of podcasts about England's young players, the under 17s, and the under 20s, both winning their respective world cups this year. We will be talking in four years time that those players that won the under 17s world cup, it will come to under 21s European championships, 2021 and many of those same players will not be involved in that tournament because of the fact that they've played or oh, 20 games for the first team this season they really need to have the summer off or that they will be required by the the national team coach whoever it might be at that point to For play a friendly in a, against yeah, peru yeah <laughs> in, in a june friendly it's much more important that they play in the, a friendly against peru in june than it is that they take part in that tournament and get the, the benefit of the tournament because they're a first team player now so we can't really ask them to play for the under but that's, yeah, I think that that's changing a bit. To be fair to the FA, but we I keep think, saying it's going to change. Yeah. Well, but then every there's always every, an example. There's always Marcus a couple. Rashford. Well, the, I mean, the, the, if we're all completely honest, the vast majority of the under 17s, the under under 18s, under 19s, and the 21s, they're not going to be the players that we think they're going to be at this point because that's not the way it works. They're not all going to come through. You might find that you get five of the under 17 team who are in the 21s and two who are in the senior team it's not always but the, the more of the those system, players though, is it? the more of those players that can stay together and the longer that they can yes. stay together surely that is co- to their collective well, benefit and to you know 
to English football or whichever nation you're talking well, about. Well, that's how Germany did it. That, that, that World Cup winning team all came through the, the 2009 Euros or six of them came through the 2009 Euros. Yeah, and that, that beat England 4-0 in the, the final. final yeah. yes. Whereas if you looked at that England team, Martin Craney was in it. The, the <laughs> whoa, that, whoa, feels, whoa. that feels like a mic drop moment well, pick there. Pick up the Cranester. Strott Loach started in goal. So, you know, the, there, there pick is... Pick up the Loach There is... There is um, <laughs> Thanks, Chinster. There is... Yeah, there is a, a natural sort of wastage, I guess, of of those players. I think there is a change. I think the FA are taking youth football more seriously. We spoke about last week, we spoke about how none of these youth tournaments have ever warranted any attention in England until yeah. we started winning them. And now it's suddenly, oh, well, they've won the under-17 World Cup. Whereas, that you know, that when, really counts. When Argentina <laughs> win the under-17, or Nigeria, who win it quite a lot, win the under-17 World Cup, no one, ever, no one ever says, right, we need to get to Nigeria, see what they're doing. No one sort of said, we need to send an FA working party to Serbia in 2015 when they won it. These things only seem to apply. They're only interesting. They're only important now that England have won it. That must mean something. Serbia. No one's saying, "Oh, Serbia will probably win the World Cup in 2020, 2026 as they won the yeah. the t- 2015 Under 17 World Cup." It, it's not how it worked. Unless that, well, they might have done in Serbia. They might have done in Serbia. We, we are not, guilty of being a little insular. Well, no, that's, and that's really important to think that kind of that we are only seeing this from a, from an English point of view. We're not exposed in the same way to to other viewpoints. But I do think that everything comes back to. You talk about the compartmentalisation of players. Everything comes back to this wonder, wonder kid syndrome where a 17-year-old comes through and for years and years and years they weren't playing for the, the 17s, the 19s, the 21s. They were just, right, well, he's 17. He's played 15 games in the Premier League or in Theo Walcott's case once for Southampton in League One. Let's put him in the senior team. He's 17. Let's not have him training with the youth team. He needs to be a substitute for the first team. It's, in, it's really odd. We've, there's been this conversation about how we don't develop players for years and years, for as long as I can remember, really. England doesn't develop players, which, I, again, I, I don't think is true. And yet no one seems to actually want to have the patience to develop them. It's just, here is a 17-year-old wonder kid, and if they're not a wonder kid, then cast them aside, send them on loan to Gillingham. But the, here's the 17-year-old. He's, he's perfectly formed. We don't need to do any work with him. We can just... He's going to play for the first of the England team. He's going to play for his first team at his club. Give him a fifty million pound transfer. It's fine. He doesn't need to develop. And there is a massive shortcoming there. Just clubs aren't clubs and fans and the media don't seem to understand that that is a slow process to get that player to where he might be, rather than looking at him at seventeen and saying, "Isn't he talented?" We seem to look at them at seventeen and say, "Isn't he talented? Look what he is." Not, "Isn't he talented? Look what he could become." And then let him become that person and and have a little bit of patience a question and we'll, we'll finish with this little uh, line of questioning very quickly Chinch at what age were you at your peak footballing wise would you say 27 27 now do you think that uh, bearing in mind we've been having this conversation around the development of young English players and that they come through at 17 like Wayne Rooney did 16 for him and that they are essentially never better than that they are just trying to maintain as good as they were when they were 16 throughout that English football has a bit of a problem about a peak. When is an English football player's peak and should it be at 27? No, no, well, but at the yeah. moment, it's a little bit too much like 22 and then there's just an inexorable decline. I, I felt I got to a peak physically and also in terms of your confidence and understanding when I was coached properly. When Joe Royal and Willie Donachie came to Everton and I was probably at that time, 26, 27, I went from being a regular in Everton's first team to an international player within... 12 to 15 months because of the coaching day in and day out that they did with me which I don't think I'd had from when I was 16 years I, I know I hadn't had that level of coaching so it can the development can be extraordinary if you think well 27 aren't you what, what, what can somebody teach you at 27 they taught me everything at 27 
and that's how quickly things can change. So imagine if that process was going on. Do you know what that means? Oh, what a glorious sound. in the middle of a wonderful point as well. well which continue that wonderful point. I was a god. I was a god. We're putting the bread in, which means the reason I brought this up as being the final point that we'd make on this uh, youth uh, podcast series is mm. because I know that we're about 50 minutes away from the bread. So Yeah. But it's all come to this, but all the talk, all the all the meandering has come to the point of if you coach someone. Oh, I thought you were going to talk really about the bread. Well, the it's all come to the, the point of the bread. Unless it's, is it good bread? Or yeah, is it just good crusty bread. Excellent. Um, if you coach someone properly, whatever age they are, and it, it has to be, like I say, twice a day, every day. Play games, but it's on the train. If you do that, it's amazing what can happen mm. to a player. And that's that's all I can say. And I've never really thought about it until this point in time. Never thought about it before. But I, I've talked about not being coached an awful lot. But when did a change happen? When did the improvement happen? And it happened then because I was coached intensely. And everybody was at that time. So the team improved, individuals improved. And we did really well and players went off to do things internationally, which were never on the cards before that coaching started. So again, it's about, but then I started to understand why I was being taught and challenged to understand why I was being taught these things. And that's when mentally and physically you can suddenly go through the roof. And this from a player who was a child prodigy, made his debut at the age of 16 and... I'd, I'd probably say genius. Do, do you, you'd rather yeah, upgrade from prodigy to genius? footballing genius. Okay. Yeah, well, that's okay with but you. But change was, I mean, we, we, yeah, we all make... Your own, choose your own phrase. We, we all make fun of... Uh, <laughs> I, I, I choose none. Um, we all make fun of, of, of the fact that English football focuses on a player like Wayne Rooney who comes through at the age of 16 and never gets any better. Well, Chinch is an exception to that rule because he broke through at the age of 16 and got consist- consistently better until the age of 18 and then got consistently worse. I'm, yeah, I'm glad you did that. I am, <laughs> I am not comfortable being nice to Chin. <laughs> I I know the, hence the last clause of that I thought, sentence. I thought you were going to say that he got consistently better until the age of 27 and then his body gave up. <laughs> <laughs> his body gave up but the, considerably. The peak of a player varies from country to country. So as Steve will know, in Italy... In About England, 42. Well, in England, we, can, we think of probably... 22 is still young, but 23 is then, well, you're a, you know, you've been around, you're established, you're a, you're a not seasoned professional, but you're kind of, that's the start of your peak. In Italy, 23 is still young, 24, still young. It's not until players are 25 that they start to think, right, now you might know what you're doing. There is a real, it's not a, it's not always yeah, a positive, yeah. but there's a real distrust of youth. Well, of the, of, across the top five leagues in Europe, of the, the, the clubs that have produced the most players playing in those top five, five leagues. It won't surprise you that Barcelona lead the way with, with Real Madrid in second. Uh, Manchester United are, are the, the highest placed um, English club in fourth. There's not a single Italian team inside the top 10, 11, 12. So it just sort of shows you that, you know, the youth development thing for them comes, comes much later because, you know, they, they're not registering in terms of young players emerging in, in the big five leagues. Well, Bernadeschi, who Juventus signed this summer, was sort of a young prodigy at 20, 24. Yes, yeah, Bernadeschi. And he, when he was at Fiorentina last year, he was still this is the this sort of callow youth that Fiorentina have got. You know, could he make it? Twenty four in England, that decision's yeah, yeah. been made. Yeah. So the peak. I, I wonder if that is what it is that we that we think of players peaking too soon. We need to shift our mindset back. We have no patience. We, we, we have no peak patience. No peak patience. <laughs> well, exactly. If Chinch is saying his peak was at, at twenty seven, then surely we should be looking at a wonderful player at the age of 17 and rather than saying he's made it 
brilliant. That's Get him in the first that's team. The last thing. That's the Let's start think the how brilliant yeah. he's going to be in that's ten what, years' yeah. time if we continue to. That's what Rory was yeah. talking about. Rather than saying that these players have got this talent, we'll just maintain it. Is how can we improve a very good player? And that that's the job of the coaches and the clubs. And funnily enough, to to, to round things off, we spoke at the very beginning about how players are coming into a system at the age of eight and nine, and whether we should have a little bit more patience in allowing them to develop before bringing them into the system. Actually, that patience is an issue throughout. Yes, they get to eighteen. There needs to be patience to let them develop so that they get their opportunity to grow within the first team structure and then perhaps go out on loan if necessary and they become a better first team player as a, as a result of it. But once they've then got into the first team, there again needs to be a little bit of patience to allow them to grow and develop so that they reach their peak yeah. at a sensible amount of time where they've gone a little bit more experience, they know a little bit more about the game, they've been able to consume all this information, whether it's from coaching or just genuinely from life and they, they become a better player because of it and yeah. throughout those three stages the three t- the three weeks that we've been talking about youth football perhaps the one issue that we've had is not showing a good deal of patience if there was a patience in allowing those players to develop at each of those three stages you might end up getting better human beings and better footballers yeah as well. I think in the first two stages getting to getting them to kind of the first team environment is one thing and patience you can maybe afford to do that then because it's not necessarily going to cost you anything but when they're in the first team environment do the clubs, any club, not necessarily the top clubs, have the luxury, does a coach have the luxury of saying, I'm going to give you time to develop, I'm going to work with you as well. And it's not just about picking up three points at the weekend, it's about working with that player during the week. Do, do the teams, do the coaches have the luxury of doing that with these players? Oh, yeah, and there's this dissonance. So I think they think they don't, but I would say that they do because the one thing that is true at every club, kids buy you time. If you chuck in a kid, two or three, if you're, if you're Everton, I mean, Tuman did it. It didn't save his job for various other reasons. But, you know, if Tuman had played a team that had Tom Davis, John Joe Kenny, Kieran Down, who's on loan at Forest, Luckman playing, four or five teenagers in, Tuman wouldn't have lost his job, even with the the exact same Calvert-Lewin, even with the exact same results, because fans will give kids time. Boards will give kids time. It creates the impression, whether you're doing it or not, that you are building something. Whereas if you put in loads of, you know, 26-year-olds you've signed for loads of money and they lose, then then suddenly people think, well, actually, these players can't be bad because they're quite expensive, so the manager must be bad, or the manager signed the wrong player, so we have to get rid of him so we can't do it again. Kids buy every club time. They, You see it in, 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 in stadiums where if a 24-year-old Italian stri- or 27-year-old Italian striker who you signed misplaces a pass, everyone goes, oh! If an 18-year-old misplaces a pass... It's a round of applause yeah. and a kind of better look next time. It's part of their learning process. Part of the learning process, but fans buy into it. And that's re- that, there is the time for a team like... Oh, for the entire Premier League, apart from the top six, basically, and the, the four or five who really should be worrying about relegation, they've got time. They've got time to bring these players through. You put them in and you will, they will not only be given the benefit of the doubt by the fans, they will actively increase your time as a manager because the the club will be more forgiving. Why aren't the likes of Stoke and West Brom, why are their, their, their squads, their teams made up of players that have come through their academy systems? You know, learning the Stoke or the West Brom way, how difficult is that to teach? And they, but Punt it forward. They are, they're established <laughs> Premier balls. League clubs. They've got the luxury of being able to, to give young players the opportunity. Yet they are the sort of clubs that really, you know, you don't see that no, much. Well, it's like a Stoke, Stoke were having their struggles in central midfield rather than bring somebody through. There must be somebody in the academy that could play in central midfield. They went out and bought Darren Fletcher. Nothing against Darren Fletcher, but they went out and bought an established yeah. senior player that they thought were better off doing that than putting somebody in from the academy, which you say would probably buy Mark Hughes a bit of time with the Stoke fans. And obviously, the question there is, 
if there is no one in the academy capable of playing central midfield, even vaguely bolting out your squad playing central midfield, then the academy's doing yes. something wrong. Yeah. 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 And if you're a manager and you feel like it's not worth the risk, remember that, as Rory says, the fans identify with these players. They feel a greater emotional um, contact with these players. And then if they are successful, they feel a greater sense of enjoyment because of those players. So if you are a manager thinking about it, show some patience. But the funny thing is, is that it takes you right back to the beginning. This is why clubs are doing it because they know that if it pays off with this young player coming through, becoming a first team regular, becoming a club legend, that's why they invest all the time and the money in the academies in the first place, because that player has been apart from wages, has been a great success story and has been a free one as well and they know that building those stories and those careers are the kind of things that you get massive credit for but at each and every stage along those way along the way even though they're trying to do the right thing they don't show the kind of patience that allows these stories to develop that's right Rory is he was already wise but becoming a father your wisdom has taken on well, I just wish monumental size. I just wish that, that more people agreed with you, but also that that, <laughs> I, that I agreed with you, which is I don't, I don't agree with you on that. I don't think that's why clubs invest in academies, and I think that's the great unspoken thing at the moment. The, the one thing we've not touched yeah. on, not unspoken, other people have, have noticed it. Well, perhaps that they, the reason why academies started, let's yeah, say, let's say the that reason academies exist now is to to industrialise the production of talent, so that they're factories, they're factories for young footballers, and the the clubs don't. If you get one who comes through, if you get a Phil Foden, brilliant. That's fantastic. You've got a fifty million pound midfielder potentially, but if all you get is a load of four million Does pound it right to them, then? right? No, if all you get is a load of four million pound right backs, you can sell to the championship. It pays for itself, and you can okay, spend all is, yeah. all of that money on international players. Mm. They sell a they say sell a player for say five hundred thousand pounds, who's made maybe a couple of first team appearances. He goes to a championship club for half a million. They they talk about that in terms of that covers the cost of the academy for yeah. a season or. You know, 18 months okay. and that's a really tragic way of yeah. looking at yeah. selling a football so I try to bring an uplifting conclusion Woo! to the end and it's been completely ruined by all and sundry and the cynicism that is around this table why don't, we follow, why don't we end on an even worse note by reading some of Chinch's copy <laughs> <laughs> that's absolutely true Chinch you are an academy product you are a child prodigy this, you are a well uh, you know educated what? man you are everything that these three podcasts have said doesn't exist anymore mm. well congratulations and here is proof Chinch from the ages it's once again time to go back about 10 years years or so when you used to write a Manchester City based column for basically whoever would take it and um, we've been asking Rory and Steve none of this has been seen before by anybody other than Chinch in the inside of his mind so would you like to pick a day in the month Steve my shirt number from my Crook and Rovers days 48 no it doesn't work two two let's go now to would you like the second of March or the second of May uh, oh, the 2nd season. of May, the Set. crucial yes. period of the season. This is when this Chich will really hit. Originally on. written on Wednesday, the 2nd of May, 2007, by Andy Hinchcliffe. So this is this is after I predicted victory against Aston Villa, which surprisingly City lost. This is ahead of a Manchester derby. So this will be, this, this will be worth listening to. Here we go, here we go. <clears throat> with the speculation surrounding City's ownership growing with each passing day, maybe the players could be forgiven for taking their eye off the ball against Villa, resulting in yet another blank score sheet. <laughs> Even though you said that City would win 2-0. <laughs> which in turn led to inevitable defeat. In the context of the season, losing the game doesn't mean an awful lot, whereas the short and long-term future of our club, our club, remains the major concern as foreign and domestic investors jockey for position. <laughs> 
excellent stuff. It really is good stuff. This was just prior to taxing Shinawatra's takeover. Yes, yes. John Wardle has hinted that he won't sell if the offer isn't right. So to make too much of the recent £90 million buyouts would be foolish. So I'll try to concentrate on the action on the field instead. Quite right, That's too, sensible. Jay. I know Robert Peston. <laughs> there may well need to be at least two goals to get anything out of United's side destined for the title with Rooney, Ronaldo, Scholes and Giggs in sparkling form. The Blues will need the very nature of a derby to spur them on. But with their failings in front of goal now commonplace, a nil-nil scoreline seems totally unrealistic. <laughs> <laughs> Sadly, I see City struggling to break down a United defence ravaged by injury. And although it pains me to do so, I predict more home misery and yet another City nil headline. <laughs> what was the score? I went for City nil, United two. And the actual result was Manchester City nil, Manchester United one. Oh, oh half so point. A Ronaldo penalty on 34 <laughs> minutes. I'm absolutely staggered that a City team containing Demarcus Beasley and Neil <laughs> Empenza did not Empenza, beat that United side. Good lord. Good and in lord. fact, that, that City team also had Michael Johnson in it, who uh, currently owns a, a public house not far from where we're sat right now. It's a, it's a lovely public it house. Very nice public and house. Um, he, he is a fine gentleman. He was the double substitution, wasn't he? He was the double yeah, substitution, yeah. which he felt guilty at, about at the bad. time. Some many things I feel bad about in commentary, and yet but that was still one. bring it up mm, over and over one. again. Mm. That was another look into the annals of history and chinch from the ages. Thank you very much indeed for contributing those words 10 years ago and indeed those words once again in so, 2017. Rory, come on. You've got a future in this game, Have chinch. I really? Yeah. But now I've got my confidence in my writing. I know what kind of style I'm going for. A bit of Kerouac in there, maybe. <laughs> what, do you, what, what do you think I should... Con- is there anything, any advice you could give me a on bit my... Caramac. Not Caramac. I love Caramac. Oh, I love a Caramac. Oh, Melted on the Mars bar. It's lovely. Um, any advice you can give me? Uh, Journalistic advice? Just keep writing, Chinch. Keep writing really? what's in your heart. Yeah. Find, find, find your voice, Chinch. Really? Yeah. Some the very the dark other thing stuff. that a lot of people seem to do is to write and then find other writers that they like on Twitter mm. and criticise and abuse them. That seems to be the future. <laughs> is it? So um, feel is maybe, you maybe do that. you're looking for a reason to get on social media, that could be yeah. it. It's always, it's always sensible to write what you know. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Write what you know. What am I going to do then? Write about being a granddad. I'm good at that. I'm Maybe excellent at that. Read, would you read Chinch's thoughts on, on being a granddad? I would. The Grandy blog. The Randy blog. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Grand- they've, got, they've got net mums. Grand the Grandy blog. Grand blog. I can just imagine somebody not quite hear that and might not hear the G at the beginning of that and think that Andy's going to end up writing the Randy blog. But <laughs> equally, I'd a lot of Jilly Cooper. <laughs> I'd, I'd equally read Chinch's thoughts on performance between the sheets. That's, think that's, so. a, that's an option. Maybe I have to well. combine the two. He does, he does tend to talk about both quite a lot. Um, so it has finally arrive the spring chicken one pot is ready the bread is crusty hopefully hopefully the the beautiful smells are reaching the large noses on some of our faces um at set piece <laughs> menu <laughs> you knew it was you even though i did point at you at set piece menu is our twitter handle or set piece menu at gmail.com thank you to everybody uh, for hopefully uh, enduring and enjoying our conversation about uh, youth football and subscribe, share, rate and review all our podcasts. We very much appreciate all your correspondence. We do humbly ask you to continue to find room for us in your podcast schedule. Thank you to Andy, to Rory and to Steve and to you for listening too. We'll be back with another set piece menu for you to enjoy very soon indeed. So which, um, which club are we, uh, which academy are we sending our kids to, do you think? I mean, I'd, I'd like to be the guy that says, you know, as long as... My child is happy. Mm. You know, the, the care is the most important thing, the pathway through the academy to the first team. But 
I probably you, want to know which one's going to get me the biggest yeah, house. Yeah, you want to be driving a Bentley in 15 yeah. years, don't you? Yeah, which one's going to yeah. educate yeah. my child, that, the, the other child as well, the one that's not quite good enough? I'm not yeah, sure. yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know. I, th- I kind of think as a, as, a, as a player, I think you'd go to a smaller... Like, Berry sounds quite... I'm thinking get, yeah. get do, they all have, do they all have academies now? Of some no, of some of them have strapped them. Ah. I think Huddersfield strapped them, in fact. Really? I think Huddersfield strapped theirs, yeah. And Brentford have, and... Oh, it's not worth it. Okay. Just as we don't need 92 lead clubs, we don't need, def- definitely don't need 92 academies. Huddersfield. I think Huddersfield got rid of theirs, didn't they? They said it wasn't worth having. Okay. Because they they would they just lose all the players to United and City and oh. and bigger bigger the bigger vultures change mm-hmm. swooping in. It's all very different from when you were when you were allowed from Blue Star the glory days of Blue Stars. Oh, happy days, happy days. Just all went wrong from there, really.